0: This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.
1: Hello and welcome to From the Old Brewery, a podcast highlighting the work of the staff and students of the School of Language, Literature, Music and Visual Culture here at the University of Aberdeen. My name is Ian Gross, a PhD research student in creative writing. And I'm co-hosting today's episode with Marianne Fosseluza. Hi, Marianne.
0: Hello. I'm a PhD research student as well, but in a visual culture. And our guest today is Mae Tudik, a PhD student in English here at Aberdeen. Her research focuses on adaptation, modernisation and the relationship between 19th century novels and 21st century media. She enjoys all things storytelling, particularly in new media, and is currently writing and producing Murray Mysteries, an audio drama podcast adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula.
1: May's research focuses on adaptation's role in embracing diversity and the representation of marginalised communities. She asks how can adaptation properly address issues of social justice to bring more diverse stories to popular media? Her thesis postulates that by bringing new perspectives to older works of literature, revisionary adaptation of Victorian women's uh, buildings roman can bridge the gap between the past, present and future and between the individual and society in order to advocate for social justice. Her work aims to provide concrete examples that show how adaptation can best be utilised to benefit and empower marginalised communities. May, hi, how are you doing? Welcome. Hi,
2: I'm good, thank you.
1: Great. Uh, just before we begin, then, can I just ask, please, what uh, Bildungsroman uh, is?
2: <laughs> so it's uh, basically a novel of education or a novel of growth. It's a novel that takes a character and goes with them through a journey where they learn something, where they change. Uh, so that's basically, I think, the ones that I'm working on, for example, are Jane Eyre, uh, Little Ooh, Women, Anne of okay. Green Gables. So that kind of stuff.
1: So where does the term come from? Is-
2: Uh, It's German, so it's um, building, it's it's kind of the similar, it's a similar thing as English, it's the growth building Ah, something, and then Roman is a novel.
1: Great, okay.
2: Brilliant, thank you very much.
0: Um, Can you tell us a little bit about your background, where and what
2: did you study previously, and how did you end up in Aberdeen? Yeah. So um, if you couldn't tell by now, I'm French, uh, but I came to the UK when I was 18 and I did a BTEC diploma in popular music performance at BIM London. So that was a year. And then I came to Aberdeen, uh, came for the tuition fees, stayed for the people. (laughs) (laughs) I did my master's um, in in Edinburgh for a year and then I came back to Aberdeen for my PhD um, again because I love the people and I love the university.
1: Nice. What is it you like about it?
2: Uh, I think just the personal feeling of it, the fact that people really care. um, There's definitely a community feeling and just um, I genuinely went through my undergrads really loving and admiring the the professors that i worked with and I, I thought i get to be their co-worker you know like i get to be <laughs> yeah. on an equal level with them and um that really appealed to me
1: that sounds lovely i'm sure everyone in the english department is going to be like
2: yes yeah. Yeah, <laughs> special <laughs> shout to may's professors Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, so, can you tell us a bit about the history of of adaptation then, and, and perhaps adaptation studies in particular? Like for people who aren't, uh, or people who, for people who are new to the field, I wonder if we could outline perhaps some of the more important work that's been done in in that area. And
2: yeah. So, um, it adaptation itself—it's kind of always existed. Think of stuff like mythology and mm-hmm. Arthurian legend, where mm-hmm. there's, you know, maybe one. Um, source but then it it kind of spreads out and everyone has their take on it and when you think about it even sort of written uh, culture is an adaptation of usually oral storytelling Mm -hmm. so adaptation has always been there usually when um, adaptation studies kind of started when films and tv started that's what it it started with and it um, began with ideas of uh, fidelity and debates over the status and rights of each medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, is film, uh, does it have the the authority to uh, take over literature and, and stuff like and that? reinterpret um, it with its own. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it moved into more close readings where instead of trying to debate about the big theory of the media, uh, people were just taking you know, specific pieces of work and comparing them and figuring things out like that. And nowadays, it's kind of broadening and expanding um, the ways in which we define a successful adaptation. Mm. So uh, one of the biggest ways in which it's changing is the inclusion of new media adaptations. But it's also anything from talking about, um, you know, using multiple media to do an adaptation or, you know, intertextuality, how Mm. do other previous adaptations of a work influence Mm. an adaptation. Mm. So there's Mm. tons and tons of ways to think about it. And Mm. the way that new forms of adaptation studies kind of um, begin and, and emerge is kind of you take literature and visual culture and you go and pick up a concept from a different uh, things so psychology. There's a lot about kind of like why do we like adaptation, what it does to our brain in terms of it being comforting because it's familiar. Hmm. Um, yeah. So there's lots of ways to think about it's it. It's very rich um, area. Yeah. Yeah. I would say if anyone wants to know more about it, uh, check out the Oxford Bibliographies entry on adaptation by Thomas Leach and Kai Michael. Um, it's really comprehensive and it's really accessible. Oh, cool. so.
1: Okay, we might put that up as a yeah. as a link when yeah, the, good to know when the episode goes out. It's great.
2: Now, your uh, thesis, your research
0: focuses on diversity and what made you want to focus on that? And uh, what makes a good adaptation in this regard for you?
2: So yeah, first of all, um, it's just personal to me. I'm, I'm a queer neurodivergent woman, so representation is quite close to my heart. Mm. Um, and I know that the literary canon is anything but diverse. Yes. <laughs> And there are several options for solving this issue. A lot of people want to completely uproot the canon and replace it with different things, and I think that's Mm -hmm. completely a valid take. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm more interested in in seeing um, what we can do with that existing canon uh, with reinterpreting and reappropriating those texts in new and challenging ways. Um, So for me, a good adaptation either will highlight and deepen the existing social themes of its original text, or it tries to fill in the gap, you know, like Mm. asking questions like, where are the people of color in this text? Where are Mm. the women, the queer people, the working class? Um, And what would this story look like from their perspective?
1: People that were absent in the original story because because of the lens that it was looking through at the time. repopulating Mm -hmm. that
0: it's a bit of a death of the author kind of thing you go further in the text and completely appropriate it to yourself
2: sort of yes um although i'm not i'm not a fan of death of the author as a concept Mm uh because i think especially when you're um studying existing themes it's Mm -hmm. important to know where they come from in Mm -hmm. the author's life um so i think it's more of a take what you want to take from the author and leave what you want to leave.
1: Mm-hmm. As, as, as someone adapting a story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but also
2: you when that. you're looking at an adaptation, intent um, counts for a lot. Um, so the adapter is also, you know, you could, you could say death of the author um, kind of extends to an adapter. Uh, you can sort of see an adaptation as whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But I think looking into their intent in adapting the thing is, it's really illuminating. It can tell you a lot.
1: About about um, current issues, the, the time that it's, the yeah, adaptation yeah. took place, what was in the focus at the time, that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, exactly, about, you know, what they wanted to say, what they saw in the original text that, that stood out to them. Uh, i think it's really interesting and it's why i've actually been interviewing a few adapters those who actually will speak to me uh and asking them you know specific questions about you know did you mean to do that um you know what what did you what kind of of uh, obstacles did you face uh did you Uh, were you fearing any backlash did you hold anything Uh back because of that you know Mm. it's really interesting to know uh to me the context is really important
1: yeah so presumably there's good and and probably quite bad adaptations as well oh yeah definitely i'm
2: actually i'm actually uh my my birthday is next week and i'm doing a party that is watching really bad adaptations
0: (laughs) 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 <laughs> yeah. That's quite a concept. I know there's a
2: 2003 modernization of Pride and Prejudice okay. that's like a high school like rom-com <laughs> thing, but it's also like made by a Christian uh, production company, and apparently it's a mess. So I'm very excited to what, see. What
1: it. do you think of Death on the Nile, the new Death on the Nile
2: with Kenneth um, Branagh? See, actually, I have got to admit, I'm kind of ashamed. I haven't read the original <laughs> for okay. this one. Yeah. I did. Um, I did read Murder on the Orient Express, but I'm pretty sure I read, uh, read it after watching the movie, so. So I felt um, that
1: was trying to do some of the things that you were talking about there by, by repopulating a story with yeah, people that were absent I, in the original. But. I
2: definitely think that's the case. I've um, I've had friends uh, kind of ask me questions about it. You know, I know there's a queer couple in that movie that doesn't exist in the original text. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were saying, you know, is it really, is it is it a good thing to kind of add um, you know, add queer people when they weren't there? Is it kind of betraying the author to change something mm. that big? And I was saying, no, it's completely something that could have existed. And it was treated mm-hmm. in a way that um, worked with the plot and kind of... Absolutely. Yeah, it it would have been something that was possible at the time. So. Yeah, because
1: Dawn French plays the the lover of the the, yeah. the other lady and she, but she's um she's a companion a nurse and a companion you know exactly officially because that's how they they would have had to have presented themselves I mm.
2: guess, yeah. yeah and there's a big reveal but it, they're never sort of demonized for it or no. anything like
1: that no it's accepted which is great uh so sorry i was going uh, off track <laughs> of, um, yeah. so you you've probably touched on a lot of that already actually but this next question just talks about those new perspectives to adaptation to bridge that gap between past present and future uh, but I was interested in you mentioned also the individual and society, and I wondered if you could expand on on that aspect. of Yeah, of, you know, so speak. that's
2: something that's um, that's very much going into the nature of the buildings Roman. Um, uh, a big uh, component of the buildings Roman is that you the character has to negotiate their inner self. So learning. Um, at the same time to know themselves, to know who they are and what they want, and fitting into society. Okay. Um, so it's, I kind of want to explore the ways in which we're constantly balancing different parts mm. of ourselves. Yeah, that
1: tension that exists. Um,
2: exactly. So whether that's being marginalized and attempting to fit in, or deciding what we want to take or leave from the past or canonical literature. So,
1: yeah. Mm, okay, yeah, that makes perfect sense.
2: Now, from
0: what I've understood, you are actually currently working on an adaptation yourself, The Murray Mysteries, uh, and I am curious about what came first. And I mean by that your involvement in producing media or uh, your research topic. And how do these two complement or inform each other, if they do?
2: Yeah, so uh, Murray Mysteries actually um, was completed recently, so oh, uh, if anyone wants to binge it, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all out now. Um, and I'm working on a, on a different project right now, which is an adaptation of, um, it's called Moreland PI. It's going to be an adaptation of Northanger Abbey. Brilliant.
1: Um,
2: but yeah, so the, what, what platform
1: can we find Murray Mysteries on?
2: Any podcast platform, okay. so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anything like that. Um, probably the same places you can find this podcast. <laughs> right, okay, good,
1: good. Yeah, good, all right. Stupid question. <laughs> there
2: are no stupid questions. No, there are not. So those interests kind of emerged at the same time, I would say. Um, although I was always interested in producing media. Um, as a quick little anecdote, um, when I was in, in high school, I did a project... Uh, It was a personal project, so we got to pick the topic, and I picked Mm. um, something relating to um, English literature and women's rights and stuff like that. And... um as an additional thing for the project to kind of set it apart, I decided to make a video and I got my friends to dress up (laughs) and I dressed up as well. Um, And it was a video that showed Virginia Woolf talking to the heroines of Jane Eyre (laughs) and Pride and Prejudice and kind of like asking them, why did you do this? Like it's (laughs) anti-feminist and stuff like that. And them explaining that they didn't have a choice, that these were the circumstances of their time. And then it ends with Virginia Woolf waking up with those books next to her and basically, she dreamed that she was talking to these people. <laughs> I played Lydia Bennett, by the way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's a real adapter's dream, that one, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs>
2: exactly. And, you know, so looking back on that, I was 16 at the time. And so I've always been interested in stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they kind of um, evolved in parallel.
0: Brilliant. So both through your own practice and your research, I am curious about do you have to think about diversity in a different way depending on which media you're adapting to and uh, how it's going to work? So yeah, what are the differences if there are any?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think a big thing is in the podcast um, medium, it's, it's very difficult when you're speaking about ethnic and and racial diversity, Mm -hmm. uh, because it's, it's invisible, like you can't, You can't see it um, and you don't want to get into, you know, like speech patterns and stuff like that. As a white writer, uh, Mm. that's definitely not okay to do. Um, So then you have to decide, you know, um, am I able to cast people of color? Are they auditioning? you know, do I ask them to disclose their ethnic background or is that is that out of line? And mm. so there's a whole dilemma with it. Um, and a lot of podcasts just choose to um, cast whoever has the best voice, mm. no matter what they look like, and just let people imagine what the characters look like. Um,
1: but I suppose then you've got that question of of potentially not being able to bring sort of personal life experience to a, to a role.
2: Exactly. That's that's definitely an issue. I think the, the ideal way to do it is to to find an actor of color that is able to talk to you about their own experiences mm. and do a meaningful um, meaningful representation of a certain identity. Mm. Um, but in my experience, with very limited funds and marketing, mm. um, it's it's really hard. And you know, it's also that you want to compensate people, and especially people from marginalized backgrounds who mm. are have to work harder to get compensated and so far nobody is getting compensated not even me
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's all in goodwill at the moment
2: exactly it's all in goodwill we can definitely do better and i want to do better um but it, it would be easier with more resources for sure yeah.
1: mm. an
0: ending problem
1: <laughs> so you've finished marie mysteries and you said you're working on a new ad- adaptation and I wondered what, what what do you enjoy most about running a production company, which is a pretty good achievement, by the way, while you're yeah, in the middle of thank a... Thank you. A, what? <laughs> PhD, you're juggling yeah. with many things. Two years PhD, yeah. And just wonder what do you enjoy most? Is it the writing? Because I know you've got a writing background as well, haven't you? Yeah.
2: Um,
1: the adaptation itself, reinterpreting something, or working with actors, or uh, all of these things. And if any of those areas are like a particular challenge for you, is there any anything you don't like? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. So I, I do enjoy the writing, but um, surprisingly enough, and it, it surprised me, that's not the thing I enjoy the most. Uh, I really like the production aspects. I like sort of having my hands in every every pot and kind of working on, on whole projects and, and getting to do a bit of everything. Um, I love organizing, for sure. Um, and mm. there's there's nothing more rewarding than watching your insanely talented friends bring to life the words that you wrote. Um, mm. So recording sessions are, are really, um, really good. Also, fan art. Fan art is, <laughs> is very rewarding. <laughs> I have a wall of fan art uh, in my room. Oh, wow. um, but yep. yeah recording sessions are exhausting but they're really fun um, and as much as working with actors can be the most fun part it can also be the most challenging part mm. especially when those actors are your friends it's kind of hard to toe the line between friendliness and authority uh, mm. when it's it's hard to it's it's kind of like herding cats
1: um,
2: yeah. and I have a cat so I wouldn't know
1: herding cats with big, with, with big egos potentially
2: oh no they don't More have to too big them. egos you know they're not getting paid for this so they
1: it must be great seeing it come to life though if you've got an idea Oh, to Yeah, have it's written, amazing. Written this idea, and then seeing people just bring it to life, it must be for sure. Really especially
2: because you know, you you write something and it, it takes on a whole new dimension with delivery, with the way people are are doing it. And as much as I do um, most of the directing, um, everyone has an input. And if <laughs> yeah. they say, oh, I thought I could say it like this, or I thought I could add this line here, um, it it can take on a whole new dimension, it, it can become something completely different. Mm. And sometimes I have actors that are particularly good at ad lib, and so I leave them dedicated spaces to ad lib. Mm. We have a character in Married Mysteries who uh, famously does not swear. <laughs> and so everywhere there would be an expletive. I used to put in um, sort of harmless uh, substitutions, uh-huh. but the actor kept improvising and doing something much funnier than what I was <laughs> doing. <laughs> So, um, so, so um, I just started putting um, in brackets improvised expletive where there should be one, and letting him do his thing. Letting them let rip. It it really becomes
0: a collaborative collaborative really hard to say for I me mean, collaborative uh, work then in a yeah. way.
2: Yeah, it really is. It really is. And um, and that actor also plays two different characters in oh. in in the show, and so the funniest thing is seeing him do uh, entire conversations between himself, those two characters with yes. himself. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that was one of his additions, was improvising an entire conversation between the two characters. <laughs>
1: that takes some um, courage, though, anyway. If you've, if you've dreamt the whole thing up, you must have a really kind of clear idea in your head of how, what, what you want it to be and what you want it to look like, but then it becomes something else when you hand it over to other people that get involved. but
2: yeah, I think I'm not um,
1: not precious about it.
2: No, I think I can be a bit of a control freak with certain things, but I'm not a perfectionist. So I'm always open to the idea that something might change and evolve as mm-hmm. the production process goes and I I have so much I do so much <laughs> for this for these projects that any little bit of help to make it better is definitely like I've, I've begged people to do some editing for me before. I, I don't do all the editing because I want the control over it. I do all the editing because I feel bad asking people to spend like hours. three hours editing wow. an episode um, for my project. So I had to teach myself to edit, to wow. uh, sound design, everything, uh, and then do it myself. And it's only when I get really stuck that I ask if other people can take a look at it and try to improve it. Mm. That... Brings
0: one major question to me Um, between the production, the writing, the editing, the thesis, the everything. You seem extremely busy uh uh, how 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 are you managing to make all of that fit in one week um and are you on track with your thesis at the moment
2: if that's not uh too indiscreet to ask no yeah i i swear i'm not that busy um (laughs) sometimes my supervisors are worried about me when i talk about everything i do but i swear i think Time management is kind of my superpower.
1: (laughs) Can we have some, (laughs) please?
2: give me some of that. So, yeah, I am actually on track to submit my thesis uh, in two years or maybe two years in a couple of months. Um, I'm in in final edits right now. Um, I just tend to be very strict with myself about working consistently and scheduling time for everything to do things like exercise, hang out with friends, just rest and do nothing, work on creative projects. So I have, um, for example, I have... Currently three days a week I work on my thesis, one day I, um, I teach, one day I work on my creative projects, and then I take the weekend off.
1: Well, that's pretty organized.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's I am really amazed good. you managed to do that. And I'm sorry, but finishing a thesis
0: in two years—I've literally never heard of it.
1: <laughs> so, are you on track?
0: Kudos for
2: to Is you. That... Um, yeah, there's a, a bit of a scheduling issue with uh, one of my supervisors being on leave. So they, um, basically, I'm on track for that. It's going to be all about how fast I can get the feedback mm. for the very final edit but otherwise I'm I'm on track.
1: That's amazing. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: just oof. It's
1: amazing. So what comes next then if you if you manage to get your PhD uh sort of signed off and everything um and revisions done if there is any. Sounds like there probably won't be any to be honest. With the, oh, with yeah, your superpowers. there probably
2: will be. <laughs> um
1: what what comes after that? Are you looking to do more research or are you going to continue to try and develop your production company or just find a job, go back to life? What, what's, what comes next?
2: So honestly, it's a bit of everything. Um, realistically, my production company won't be making enough money within the next few months to mm-hmm. pay me. Um, so um, I really enjoy research, but I don't think academia is a particularly healthy place for me right mm-hmm. now. Um, so I'd like to work in production, um, and preferably for companies and projects that kind of merge my interests in, uh, education in creativity and in diversity. So I've been, I've been working freelance with a few companies oh, right, and okay. sort of going through those projects, I can see, oh, this actually really interests me. This, this kind of merges everything. And, um, I'm always on the lookout for permanent jobs with mm-hmm. companies that mm-hmm. I really enjoy working with freelance.
1: And is that, are you finding that work up here in Aberdeen or or elsewhere? Is it it remote work or?
2: Yeah, it's usually remote work. And that's kind of what I'm looking for as well. Um, I like the idea of flexibility, Mm -hmm. because I think community and friendship is the most important. It's my priority right now. So Mm -hmm. I'd like to be where my friends are. And that, yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily want to move for a job and not have mm-hmm. anyone around me and start again uh yeah, yeah i've done the starting again thing many times yeah. and when i moved to edinburgh i realized that oh i found my people um and i'd rather just be around them mm-hmm. so hopefully remote and uh, the projects i've been finding so far are remote
1: right that sounds good sounds like you've got a really bright future I
2: hope so. I do, yeah.
0: (laughs) We do hope so for you as well. Um, Thank you very much for uh, discussing all of that with us, sharing about your thesis, uh, bringing some of your joy and business to the room. Uh, I I have to admit, I am still amazed by how much stuff you managed to fit in (laughs) a week. Um, So let's hope that uh, this is just the beginning of your production career. I hope so. And thank you again for speaking with us.